Welcome to episode 11 of Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall, an ICO data analyst at ICO Alert, the trusted ICO discovery platform. Visit icoalert.com, the most complete calendar of all active and upcoming ICOs to discover the latest projects and opportunities like EOS IO. And I'm here today with the founder of ICO Alert and CEO of Cypherglass, Rob Finch. Thank you all so much for joining us for another episode of Everything EOS. Uh, we sincerely appreciate all the feedback and comments that we continue to get about the show, whether you're talking on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, or somewhere else. Please continue to let us know uh, if you like the show by either leaving a comment, liking, subscribing, or following the podcast in any of those places. All right, on today's podcast, we will be detailing the latest news and announcements around EOS IO, including the recent chain freeze and frozen accounts, hardware wallet development, and an update on the Everipedia airdrop. And before we get started, I do need to mention that this podcast is not sponsored. And as a matter of disclosure, Zach and I do both own EOS tokens. However, this should not be construed as legal, financial, tax, or professional advice. We're just two people talking about a technology that we're very passionate about, and you should always do your own research. All right, Rob. So the mainnet launched last week. We're recording uh, live last week at the moment that the uh, 15% was reached. Uh, Yeah, it was really perfect timing. Yeah. So congratulations. It looks like uh, Cypherglass is still in the top 21 and you're in the top 21 uh, for the launch. Yeah, definitely. We're we've been uh, honestly kind of surprised, but but obviously thrilled about all the community support that we've gotten. Uh, We've gotten close to 40 million votes. Um, that, that have kept us in the top 21. So we sincerely appreciate everybody that's voted for us, whether you have 10 EOS or 10,000 EOS. Uh, we appreciate every single vote. So w- what's the uh, current state of the chain then? I, I saw the voting. Uh, it was such a struggle to get up to that 15%, but now it looks like it's holding strong at, uh, as of the time of this recording, 24.3% of tokens are currently staked for voting. So that's pretty good. Yeah, and I think this is a great thing. And honestly, I'm kind of surprised that the amount of votes continues to go up. I thought for sure that once we hit 15%, it might even go below 15%. But it looks like more and more people continue to vote as voting gets easier and people start to understand it more. So I think that's a great thing overall for the, the health of the network. I, I, I thought the same thing was going to happen. I, I figured as soon as uh, the 15% was reached, we would see it drop maybe even the single digits. It's actually impressive. 24% right. is a lot. That's a whole lot. Oh, that's huge. I mean, if you look at other DPoS systems, um, ARC and LISC and RISE, all these other systems, the highest voting percentage I've ever seen is about 40 or 45%. And that was on ARC. And that was also when you were getting paid to vote for people. So to have it at almost 25% now and people aren't even getting paid, um, it's a pretty big accomplishment. And then I saw on uh, Reddit, someone posted a screenshot that uh, the, the chain's running at 592 transactions per second. Does that sound accurate to you from what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, on the testnet, we were on the jungle testnet participating a lot, and we still participate there when new you know, software updates or patches come out. We hit 1,475 transactions per second. I'm not sure if the 592 is just the, the max we've hit so far, um, but it, the single-threaded implementation can definitely go much, much higher than that. So there's there's been some other stuff going on. So, so the mainnet went live, and then I, I think on this past Saturday, uh, something came up with with the BPs, and uh, there was a conference call, and the, the the chain was frozen temporarily. You want to kind of get into that and what happened? Yeah. So what basically happened, and I'm actually making a, a video on this today that I'll be putting out, where you can you can check it out on the Cypherglass YouTube channel. Um, but essentially, what happened was there was a bug in the chain. Uh, that, that caused the chain to pause automatically. So the BPs didn't go on a call and then pause it. The, the chain paused automatically because it had encountered basically a, a critical error um, in one of the EOSIO system contracts. So when that happened, 
um, all the, the BPs got together, ourselves included, uh, although with the exception of a few, it was, it was kind of disappointing to see that Bitfinex, Wobi, and I believe one other were not on the call and, and not trying to resolve those issues. So uh, that was kind of a bummer. But everybody else, including a lot of standby BPs who were out of the top 21, sort of hopped on this call, figured out what was going on. Uh, Dan Larimer obviously hopped in for a little bit and, and helped patch the issue. Um, but ultimately, what happened was the bug froze the chain. We went in, patched it up, figured out where the bug was, um, got the patch from Block One and from Dan. Uh, we all upgraded our our nodes, all the top twenty one BPs, and then we tested it, made sure everything was working, and then unfroze the chain. So this is a process where, unlike chains like Bitcoin or Ethereum, when there's a critical error, you have to hard fork out and make an entirely separate chain to fix the issue. With EOS, you can actually just automatically pause the chain and then bring it up a little bit later once uh, the issue has been resolved. I, I think that's interesting because these things that you just mentioned as being a positive, all, all the FUDsters are seeing it as a negative. Right. So the other uh, thing people have been complaining about on Twitter is the seven accounts that were also uh, recently frozen by the BPs. Right. Uh, you want to kind of give your side of that? Yeah, so that was something that we were very, very hesitant to do. Um, we were really pushing for evidence of, okay, we need to know for sure, we need cryptographic proof that these people's accounts were actually hacked before we put in this freeze. And the, the reason why all of this happened and happened through a BP vote rather than the arbitration process is because the arbitration process right now does not really exist on the chain. There's no decentralized arbitration system. Um, ECAF um, is kind of like a fill-in for arbitration in some kind of a way. But ultimately what happened was seven people who were able to cryptographically prove that their accounts were hacked and their tokens were being unstaked they came to us and said, hey, we need you to freeze our account so that we can save our funds. I think in total was maybe 1,300 EOS across those seven accounts. So ultimately, all the BPs decided, okay, yes, we're going to freeze it, sort of see how this works, test it out, um, successfully froze the accounts. And, and now, obviously, we're going through this process of setting up arbitration so that in the future, the BPs don't have this kind of power. Because honestly, I don't think we should have this power. And I don't think we want to have this power responsibility. So it's important to note that in the future, when something like this happens, if your account is compromised, You'll go through a decentralized arbitration process where you know you'll pitch your evidence to the arbitrators. The arbitrators will, will then make a ruling, um, and when that ruling is made, they pass that on to the block producers, who then would freeze those accounts if that's what the person was requesting. So, part of what I read was also that the constitution has not yet been ratified. So, what what's still needed uh, for that to happen? Uh, I'm not sure. As far as I know, if you sign any transaction on the chain, you're effectively signing the constitution. So it, it, it should be ratified. I think we only needed that 15% support to get there. Yeah, that's what I thought too, because uh, it, it has that kind of warning on all the voting portals saying right. like you're also agreeing to the constitution. But I saw a few blog posts that uh, like... Uh, it may be talking about... It may be talking about the quote-unquote final constitution, which will never really be final because people can constantly submit updates and new proposals. But right now, it's technically an interim constitution. So that may be what they're referencing is that this is technically a placeholder. And then in the near future, um, we'll have to do a vote and hold, a, I believe, 15% of token holders have to be voting on the constitution for a period of 90 days in order for that new constitution to then be ratified and considered valid. But there, there are a lot of things in the current constitution that we definitely want changed. The biggest one being Article 15 which basically says that if you don't send a transaction for three years, your account will be be taken, which is something that I think goes totally yeah. against the, the ethos of EOS, which is you know securing life, liberty, and property. So 
so that that's something that we're pushing pretty hard to change and i think the community is pretty pretty on board with that so I, I guess we can get a little bit into arbitration. And uh, as far as I know, the EOS core Ar- arbitration forum is the group who, who's going to be managing this. Who are they and, and what is their future role going to be on the network? Yeah, so ECAF is a group of uh, a couple different community members um, who have all basically stood up and said, hey, you know, we're not associated with block producers. We're not associated with, with really anybody in the community so that they can have some kind of an unbiased approach. But right now, they're the ones that these arbitration issues are being passed through. So if you have an issue like, hey, my account was hacked and need help, um, you would go through ECAF. But in, in the near future, hopefully we should have that decentralized arbitration process where rather than going through one entity like ECAF, you can actually go through almost like a jury-like system where you know a bunch of people in the community say, hey, I want to be an arbitrator. And then they get randomly chosen to arbitrate on different cases so that you're not going to the same people in the same arbitration forum over and over and over again who could eventually develop some kind of bias or you know mm-hmm. something that, that obviously wouldn't be in the best interest of the chain. Yeah, I mean, the way the way I see EOS is kind of like its own sovereign nation. And just like a government, you have different checks and balances on the system. Right. And like the block producers are, are one faction of this quote unquote like government. But then the arbitrators will be another branch that balances out the power and then I guess this kind of goes into um, something I'd like to talk about is the worker proposal system yeah. and, and what's been yeah. going on with that because there's there's been a push at least over the past week uh, on the EOS Go forums. Um, they started a new Telegram group uh, dedicated strictly to discussing what this proposal system is going to look like, what type of projects will be accepted, and, and very forward-thinking conversations going on. And I, I think arbitration is going to be a requirement for the worker proposal system to, to work because you're going to have to verify that work's being completed and milestones are going to be hit. Right. Yeah. Um, for, but, for those sorry. people that don't know, real quickly, the, the worker proposal system is where four out of five percent of the inflation goes. So 80% of all inflation on the EOS network goes to this worker proposal fund. Um, block producers get 1%, uh, the worker proposal system gets 4%. And all of that inflation basically sits there in this massive account that can then be used to fund, say, community projects or um, fund any, really any idea you have that will help improve the EOS network in some way. And I think it's going to be one of the biggest things ever seen in blockchain if this is successful. Not, nothing like it has, has ever been successfully implemented. I know uh, Dash has uh, some sort of proposal system, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's still pretty immature also. And and I expect uh, the EOS version to be, it, it's going to take a while to, to reach its full potential. But like Rob said, like there's a, there's a 5% annual inflation on the network. So in the first year, there'll be 50 million tokens generated. Only 10 million of them are going to go to the block producers. And then that leaves 40 million tokens to be used to grow the ecosystem in, in whatever way the community deems uh, relevant and necessary. So when we talk about different branches of a government, you have the block producers, they already kind of have a salary built in to the 1% inflation, but then right. the arbitrators might be paid through this worker proposal system. Um, there, there's certain projects that people deem very necessary. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about developing a stable coin, and that would be a top priority that people would probably be willing to fund through a worker proposal system. Um, just, just anything. Like, if you want to do something that you think can grow the ecosystem, the worker proposal system's going to be your route to do that. Um, and I'm just really, really looking forward to to being part of more of these conversations. And you, you guys can 
join also, anyone listening, you just go to eosgo.io, go into the forums. You'll see a section for the worker proposal system. Uh, they'll have the links to the Telegram groups. Uh, Thomas Cox has been uh, very active in all of this, as, as he has with governance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, he, he actually just posted a timeline recently, and uh, their goal is to design and propose the actual system, like an, an outline of what exactly it's going to look like by Q3. Uh, they also want to have the smart contracts done by Q3. They want to have the uh, UI ready by Q4. And then the go or no go vote before the end of the year. Wow. So th- this is really exciting. If this could be completed by the end of the year, it, that's going to be huge because that's really going to be the gasoline that, that ignites this fire because oh, you'll have a, a global community being able to possibly use this system to create a salary for themselves to evangelize the network. Right. I mean, you could do it for anything for people who are working on the the core code. If you know, the, there are a bunch of volunteers that work on the code in addition to block one, which I think is something people don't know. And those volunteers could be compensated through this. And I think something that's important to mention is let's say that this is done in December. There's already going to be 20 million EOS then in that fund between now and December. So even at a $10 token price, we're talking $200 million that can go into funding all these different different projects and initiatives. So it's it's going to be a pretty sizable chunk of money in addition to the, the billion dollars block one has already put up to, to fund DAP specifically. And, and that's what I think we'll see is this this fund is just going to accumulate before the, the system's ready. And then even once the system launches, it might be slow to kind of get off the ground. So there'll be a pretty decent sized war chest when yep. this thing gets going. So it's never going to be uh, an issue of how much balance is left and can we afford to do things. Definitely. If you have a good idea and you can get the support of the community, anything is possible. Yeah. And I think the most key thing here is going to be making sure that the projects and initiatives that are being funded are high quality projects and also have some kind of accountability behind them. So before we go and give $10 million to some DAP to build, uh, you know, whatever, whatever DAP they're building, or before we go and pay a salary to somebody who's committing code, I think there needs to be some kind of review process, whether it's decentralized through the community or, or something else. I think there has to be some kind of quality control review process to make sure that the money just doesn't get drained and, and, sent to shitty projects that aren't following through. <laughs> yeah, th- there's been already a lot of talk of like, how do you avoid like spamming the proposals? So there's been talk of like having a fee, like I think Dash charges like seven Dash just to submit a proposal. Oh, wow. And Dash is, I, I don't know what it is, like 250 maybe mm-hmm. somewhere around there. So it, it costs you money to submit a proposal, but that's good because it prevents like submitting garbage and spamming uh, if, if you have like thousands and thousands of garbage proposals, it, it's going to be really hard for the community to filter them down and, and choose which ones they want to vote for. Definitely. So having, having some sort of fee. And I actually like the idea of a fee because let's, let's say you do want to um, apply for like a $10 million ask of an, an EOS equivalent to, to do something, some really big idea. Uh, let, let's say that the fee is actually a percentage of um, what you're asking for. Oh, wow. That that would cause, like, let's say I want to do a $10 million project, but I don't have, and, and the fee would be like, let's just say 1% just to make up a number. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have that many EOS to put in a deposit or a stake to, to submit this proposal. So I would be forced to kind of find angel investors in a way where they could delegate their tokens to me as a deposit to allow me to submit this proposal. Interesting. That's a cool idea. That's something I hadn't really thought of. There's, there's also, I think, even if it was only like 
if it was a flat fee like how Dash does it, if it if it's the equivalent of a thousand dollars, if a thousand people apply with a thousand dollar fee to some ten million dollar bounty, you can offset already ten percent of that ten million just through the fees that people are paying to to ensure high quality submissions. Mm-hmm. And then if these these fees like if if people are paying them to submit proposals or to stake a proposal, that fee has to go to someone, and I don't think it needs to go back into the community account because it's already going to be well funded. So that fee might go directly to whatever organization or system is in place that's going to re- review the, um, I guess, the milestones and project completions. Right. Some, some, there, there's going to have to be people behind this to, to verify that things are getting done, possibly a rating system to, to rate you so that if you do a terrible job, you won't ever be able to get another proposal pr- right. approved. <laughs> like None of this stuff has been fully thought out yet because it's never been done before. And I think yeah. that's the most interesting part of it is Nobody knows. Well, and I think that's like an important note for all of this, especially when we were talking about those seven accounts that were frozen earlier, is that none of this has been done before. And that's why everybody is kind of working through this as a learning process. And even with our initial block producer calls, when we were getting up and running and getting ready to launch the network, there really wasn't some kind of organizational structure to make sure, okay, these BPs need to be on this call at this time. And now that's in place. And now we're looking at things like arbitration. Okay, you know, us going and and um, you know, debating on a conference call whether or not to freeze an account is not the right way to go about this. We need a, a real system in place that that's going to be consistent over time. So we're learning as we go. And I think to your point, all of this being so new, it's going to take a little while um, for some of the kinks to get worked out. But it's, it's also incredibly exciting that with something like the Worker Proposal Fund, those funds are already accumulating. So uh, what other big things that we're looking forward to? Dan has actually been teasing a new hardware wallet, yeah. which I know interests you because you've we talked about it last week. You put out a hundred thousand dollar a bounty for developers who are able to successfully implement and put into production a Ledger and a Nano S uh, hardware wallet. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ledger. You want to talk about? Oh yeah, that's right, Trezor. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about some of the things that Dan's mentioned in Telegram? Yeah. So this is so exciting. So Dan has said, and this is a quote: "We are signing transactions with iPhone app now." And then he goes on to say, "Using hardware." And what's most exciting about this to me is that most people don't realize if you have an iPhone that you bought in the last like three to four years, your iPhone actually has a secure Enclave chip in it. And what that secure Enclave or SE chip is, is it's basically an offline computer that's in your iPhone. So you can store you know, the biometric data from your touch ID when you unlock your phone with your fingerprint. You can store your face ID data there. You can store any kind of secure data that you don't want to go online on that chip. And then there's no risk of somebody stealing your phone or hacking into your phone and and extracting that data. So you can imagine um, when it comes to storing private keys for something like EOS, you could actually store your private keys on that secure enclave that's already in your iPhone. And what that basically enables you to do is turn your iPhone into a hardware wallet. So instead of having to carry around your ledger or carry around your Trezor and you know, have that on you at all times and have a recovery seed somewhere, you can just use your iPhone. So you could obviously still have a recovery seed or a recovery partner, but being able to, for example, you know, send EOS to someone or cast a vote from my phone and sign that voting transaction with my face, like that is just such a cool concept to me and something I'm so, so excited about. So hopefully they get this approved uh, by the App Store soon. Yeah, and uh, I think the other sc- uh, screenshot I saw of him talking in Telegram was he said, Block One's building a hardware wallet and it will be the most secure in the industry, which I think's a, a really big thing to say and I'm, I'm sure dan will be able to back it up and like there's so much potential with the iphone hardware wallet because you think of people uh using apple pay and, and even though it's not android people using android pay also yeah that, that that's i i've 
inst- I installed all that stuff just to try it out. I don't use it regularly. I still use my debit or credit cards, but it is really cool how, how like it, it's becoming more and more POS systems are accepting like payment th- through just like, uh, swiping your phone by by the pos definitely and as yeah. as more and more things get tokenized and it could be used in an everyday as an everyday currency it only makes sense that you'd pay from your cell phone yeah absolutely and i think if you think right now when somebody says hey how do i buy a bitcoin or how do i do this you know generally the place you point someone is to like the coinbase app and they download the app on their phone they link their credit card and they kind of go from there but if you can actually and you know then there's a process after introducing them like hey by the way, you shouldn't actually store your tokens on that exchange because you don't actually own them on that exchange. You should store them here. And there's this whole complex um, like process that comes after that initial introduction. But by having your iPhone as a hardware wallet, you could totally eliminate that. And I think it would be a lot easier to onboard the average person where you can say, hey, download this app. You store your coins here. You can you know, buy more right here. And it's just an easy process where you know that it's secure and you don't have to recommend they go buy a ledger and store their recovery seat and do all this other crazy stuff. They can just download an app and boom, it's there. I think that, that's the less do friction, the better oh, anything absolutely. that could eliminate friction. I think that's one of the biggest things holding back this technology is the friction involved with getting into it and, and just every day navigating the, the waters that we're currently in. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of our, our bounty that we put out, um, so we've gotten a ton of submissions already. More than a dozen people have reached out over email saying, hey, you know, give us the participation packet. We want to participate. But we put out an update video of this on our Cyberplus YouTube channel um, that also basically shows off a proof of concept. So somebody named CryptoFairy came out with a proof of concept where he was signing transactions directly from his Ledger Nano S, EOS transactions. So he has basically the core functionality working. He has the private keys stored on the actual Ledger Nano S. Now it's just a matter of you know building the interface for it so that the average user can use it. But it's awesome that even a week after the bounty was announced, we already have somebody with a proof of concept. We have more than a dozen teams that are actively working. So I think we may see a hardware wallet, both for the Ledger Nano S and for the Trezor, um, sooner sooner than people think. That's that's awesome, and it, it's interesting that I've I've never seen someone as as eager to give away a hundred thousand dollars as you are, <laughs> <laughs> because I, I know how you are with your hardware wallets, and you just really want this for yourself. Definitely, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, I wish, but but the whole community wants it too. Absolutely, I wish we had put out this bounty four months ago. Although Cypherglass wasn't officially announced then, but I think. I'm glad we put it out now at the beginning of this so that we can get this ready. And then the majority of people that onboard in this ecosystem will have the ledger or the treasure option. But I, I wish that we had done this, you know, a couple months ago and made sure that it was ready, ready for launch. So we, we, we'd, um, let's change the subject, I guess, uh, some airdrop news. Everapedia yeah. has, has officially, uh, announced the ratio of tokens. So is it five, 5.1 IQ tokens for every EOS? Yeah. And it's an uh, interesting it's interesting. They actually have 10 billion total IQ tokens, and they're giving away 51% of those in this initial airdrop, but they are reserving the right to do future additional airdrops, which I thought was kind of interesting. But that's why it's such a weird ratio, 5.1 to 1. Mm-hmm. And they're basing it off the EOS Genesis snapshot still, which was what the original plan was, but there there was some talk that they, they might take a different snapshot. But it, it right. seems like they're, they're going to stick to the Genesis, and they released a... Um, a web link. It's everpedianetwork.github.io front slash airdrop, or you could just Google it. Um, and you could put in your EOS public key and it'll tell you how many IQ tokens you're, you're going to get whenever the airdrop actually occurs, which I, I don't think they put out a date yet. Have they? No, they've not put out a date for when they're actually going to do the drop. Um, and as far as I know, I think they will still be the first airdrop that actually happens on the EOS mainnet. A lot of people are still airdropping on ETH, which I think is kind of interesting. 
Um, but they have not announced a date. I expect that it will be relatively soon. Like I would think by the end of June, maybe sometime in early July that they actually do the airdrop because it's supposed to coincide with the release of their EOS based platform. Um, and I think that's, that's almost done. So I, I think we should see it pretty soon. Have you still been contributing to, uh, the Everpedia pages lately? Not nearly as much as I was, um, originally I'm kind of managing a few different pages, like my personal page, the Cypherglass page, some of the EOS pages, the ICO alert page, just kind of focusing on those core pages and keeping them up to date. But once the blockchain version is actually launched, uh, I'm planning to block out time every day to go in and continue contributing articles. Like in the background, I've been using uh, Ancestry.com to compile information about my family. And I think it would be awesome to make like this permanent blockchain-based record of all of my different ancestors that, that I don't even know about. But, you know, make a make an entry for myself and then my brothers and then, you know, my parents and then their parents and et cetera, et cetera, and have this whole, whole kind of um, blockchain-based family tree on Everpedia. So that's one of my goals once the blockchain version actually launches. Yeah. So as far as airdrops, everyone was all excited about the potential of the airdrops. You put out your, your big video about your, your thoughts on the airdrops and why you think it'll uh, make the uh, EOS token so valuable by the end of the year. Right. But, um, I, I do you feel like block one has been quiet since the mainnet launch? Definitely, definitely. It, and it's kind of interesting. I mean, they've really taken, and I think this is for a lot of different reasons. Number one, it is a community initiative. It's not really their blockchain anymore. Um, but they have been sort of, I don't know if I would say unusually quiet, but they definitely have been quieter than they usually are. Um, so it's interesting. I don't know. Why do you think they've been so quiet? I, I don't know. I, I so not only is Block One quiet, but all of these initial ESVC partners have been quiet also. Yeah. And Everpedia is still the only uh, official airdrop that's been announced. Um, we mentioned Botchain a few weeks ago, and I actually did record a conversation with their CEO. Uh, I'll, I'll just give away a spoiler. It is not uh, going to be an EOS token. They're still looking into different platforms, uh, but it, but it won't necessarily be on EOS and it, it was just kind of miscategorized on, on Crunchbase as being under the, uh, the EOS VC uh, arm of Galaxy Digital because Galaxy Digital is bigger than just an EOS fund. They, they invest in other projects also. And he, he said he thought it was just miscategorized. Hmm. Um, but still, it, it's just crazy to me that so much uh, VC money has been uh been distributed but only one project's been announced so i think uh we're, we're due for some announcements on stuff like that definitely a month or so yeah i would totally agree with that and if you think the really the last thing we've heard from block one was their hackathon that happened in hong kong on the the 9th and 10th and i think the next hackathon is in early august early to mid-august um I'm not sure where i would have to check the eoshackathon.io website but that's really the only announcement we've gotten after launch so i think you're right i mean we're due for whether they're DAP announcements or more VC fund announcements, we're definitely due for something for Block One. Uh, I mm -hmm. would say relatively soon. Uh, is there any other uh, big stuff going on? I know I got one. The um, CCID, which is the China Electronic Information Industry Development, hmm. uh, they they unveiled crypto ratings. So they they released their first round of crypto ratings. Uh, I think like a month or two ago, and uh, Ethereum was the the top of a couple different categories, but the latest one that they put out EOS is number one in technology and number one in innovation by wow. a long shot. Yeah. And BitShares did really well on this list and so did steam. So it, it's really cool to see that 
three of Dan's projects are in the top 10 yeah, of this that's chi- crazy. Chi- Chinese rating system. And I, I don't know much about who these people are, what, what they do, but it's just really cool to see a, another uh, group of individuals who are hopefully doing this objectively and they, they see EOS very positively. As far as technology, they gave it a score of 102 and the next closest was Ethereum at 85.2. Wow. Um, oh, that's quite a ways ahead. Uh, yeah. And then innovation, they rated them a 44.1. And then the next closest was 28.3 with Ethereum. Hmm. Um, but but they did get a bad score in applicability. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a 15.4 and Ethereum got almost a 25. That Neo sense. got 27 and a half. So it, 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 I kind of liked seeing that they got one bad score because if, if, if they're top, top of the board on everything, it would kind of look... A little fake right say. yeah i mean check as much and, as i love the project yeah it makes sense since there are no real there, there are a couple of cool apps like monster eos which is kind of like a crypto kitties but monsters uh, built on eos and everything's free you don't have to pay to breed them or pay to buy them or sell them and all that good stuff it's, it's free since you're on eos there are no transaction fees but i think once we have more real dApps built on this platform that applicability score will go way up and then it will be number one in all three categories is there any, any other stuff we want to cover? We've got yeah. a few minutes left on this. The only other thing I would say, I think uh, Bifinex actually just, what, an hour, maybe two hours before we started recording this call on Wednesday, um, actually opened deposits and withdrawals for EOS. So I think they're the first exchange to open mainnet deposits and withdrawals. So if you have EOS that you want to move to an exchange, you can do that now. If you have EOS on Bifinex that you want to take out, which is probably more likely, um, you can do that now as well, which is awesome to see. And, and hopefully the other exchanges like Binance and and the others uh, follow suit pretty soon. What do, what do you think about Bithum? Think, think they're going to open withdrawals and deposits? For years <laughs> I think so. Tell me about that. What happened? <laughs> I, I haven't looked too much into that. What happened? Did, did Bithum get hacked? I don't know if they got hacked or they just did some accounting and realized there's a bunch of money missing. Oh, wow. But they put, they put out a tweet last night saying, attention, everyone, $30 million is missing, but don't worry because we're going to cover it all and no one's losing any money except us. <laughs> So that's, so that's I think the best case scenario as far as a hack's concerned, but yeah. uh, they had to suspend all of their deposits and withdrawals while they moved all of their funds to a cold wallet. Wow. Um, so that includes EOS. So that was the joke is everything's locked up from uh, deposits and withdrawals. Right, exactly. It's interesting. I mean, the, we've seen other exchanges who have gotten hacked. Maybe this wasn't a hack, but... I forget the name of it. I think it was a, a Japanese or Korean exchange that got hacked, but for half a billion dollars. And they were like, no worries, we'll put up the half a billion, like we'll cover it, which shows you how much money these exchanges are making. But it could also be something with unspent outputs on Bitcoin where they have to pay massive transaction fees to consolidate them from all the wallets or something else in their accounting that just messed them up. But 30 yeah, million, that's, I mean, that's a huge amount of money. Nobody really knows how much these exchanges make. I heard um, the CEO of Kraken was on the Unchained podcast with Laura Shin. I listened to it the other day. And she straight up asked him like about their profit. <laughs> he, he's like, I'm not going to tell you about those numbers. <laughs> they don't want any he more said, competition. He, he said, but it, but they're very healthy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. And Jesse's a cool guy. I met him in, uh, where was it? Is it in New York or San Francisco? I think it was during Token Summit in New York. And he had like this big dog with him. He's like a total character, but he's a really nice guy. But it, it's cool that uh, they're still making money, even though, their platform is not the best like we've said on this podcast before <laughs> well kraken is the only in as up until this point it's the only exchange in the u.s that you could abody us on with u.s dollars yeah so, that's very true out of all the exchanges they're the first u.s ones to get behind us right 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to, to see what happens with exchanges as we go forward. Will we'll Coinbase list this this year? The, the NASDAQ exchange, I think that their DX exchange, which is their crypto exchange, I think launches, is it tomorrow? Is it June 21st? I'm, I'm not sure. It's it's sometime this month. I think it might be tomorrow. Um, but one of the pairs that they've said that they're going to list is, is EOS, and I believe it will have a USD pair also. So it'll be interesting. They have half a million users who have already signed up for DX exchange. Um, before it's even launched. So I think tomorrow is going to be, nice. if tomorrow is launch day, it's going to be a pretty crazy day. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it was a week or two ago, but Binance uh, released a USDT pair with, with EOS, which is pretty oh, interesting. Nice. Yeah, I, I think the more USD pairs it gets, the the better of a chance it will have to decouple from Bitcoin. But Right, that makes sense. Nothing's decoupled from Bitcoin since this whole thing started. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see, but we, we could all hope. Definitely. It's not fun to succumb to the king when it goes up everyone else goes up when it goes down everyone else goes down it's kind of annoying right exactly uh but this is a good spot to wrap up um unless there's anything else you want to cover you want to uh mention any updates for cypher glass or anything before we yeah i think the only other thing if you're still curious about that account freeze and kind of what happened with the you know both the account freeze but also the bug that we had on the chain um go just search cypher glass on youtube or go to youtube.com slash cypher glass i'll be posting a video there today um, as well as some other airdrop videos, some some other cool stuff in the pipeline. So stay tuned there for, for more info. But otherwise, um, you know, go EOS. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to episode 11 of Everything EOS. Uh, once again, I'm Zach Gall. And I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS. ICO Alert maintains the only trusted comprehensive list of pre-ICOs and initial coin offerings. This Pittsburgh-based startup has grown to serve over 1 million users in less than a year. But how did it get started? Well, at first, the company was just an online tool for two brothers, Mike and Rob Finch, to keep a calendar of their favorite ICOs. After just a few months, the team has grown to over 14 team members and produced hundreds of ICO reports. These in-depth reports feature exclusive interviews and offer insight into past, active, and future future ICOs. Head on over to ICOalert.com, meet the team, and use their game-changing My Portfolio function. Track your favorite blockchain projects. Become your own venture capitalist. Only at ICOalert.com.